all that needs to be done. We don't take a proper break. We don't take good care of our bodies and our minds. If we don't reach out for help when we know that we need it. If we don't change our ways. If we don't settle into a healthy rhythm of work and rest. We run the risk of burning out. If we burn out, we are of no use to anyone. Burnout is possible in just about any career and any station in life. Quite common among spiritual leaders. So Moses, when we come to the text this morning, Moses is in danger. But here's the thing, he doesn't know it. He did not notice where his daily routine was taking him. It was his father-in-law Jethro who did. Upon coming to visit Moses, Jethro decides that he wants to spend some quality time with his son-in-law and chooses to accompany him to work. He sits down and he watches as the people surround Moses and as they lean on him all day long to settle their disputes, sun up to sun down. And observing all this, Jethro asked Moses, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Lance Witt, in his book, Replenish, Leading from a Healthy Soul, says this is just a nice way of saying, have you lost your mind? Moses, what are you doing? And Moses, why are you doing it this way? Moses' response to Jethro's inquiry is pretty telling. It, it sounds like the precursor to that often common in church mindset because that's the way we've always done it. It shows us that what Moses was doing really wasn't that well thought out. It seems to have evolved naturally over time, like many of our habits do. Before long, he had a routine. We do what we do because that's what we do. They are in danger of living that unexamined life. Socrates said wasn't worth living. We do what we do because that's what we do. We don't always put a lot of thought into why we do what we do. It reminds me of the story of two construction workers who were working for the city department. One would dig a hole. The other would follow along behind him and fill in the hole. They worked up one side of the street and down the other, digging hole and filling in the hole, digging in a hole. And very faithful all day long. Somebody watched them do it, and finally, curiosity got the best of them. He wandered over, and she said, I can see that you're working hard, but I'm just, I don't understand this. I, I'm impressed by your effort and by all your work, but I don't get it. Why do you dig a hole? only to have this guy come behind you and fill it up again. And, and the hole digger wiped his brow, and he said, yeah, it probably does look a little weird. The guy who plants the trees today called in sick. <laughs> and I got a job to do. Now, that couldn't possibly have happened. I can't imagine that really happened. But I can imagine how easy it is to, to just fall into a trap of going through the motions in life and to leading an unexamined life. And sometimes it takes a set of objective eyes 
to see things that we don't see, or to see things that we cannot see, or just to see things a little bit differently. Sometimes it takes a well-meaning onlooker to, to challenge the status quo, to ask the questions that inspire examination and change. And that's the gift that Jethro here is giving to Moses. Before we continue on in the story, though, let me ask you a question. Who has objective eyes on your life? Who do you take to work with you, figuratively or literally, so they can examine how you're living life? Who is allowed to observe you? Who do you allow to observe you? And I don't mean the Facebook you. I don't mean the profile. I don't mean the you, the, the we, that we all want everybody to see a perfectly cultivated, sanitized life. I mean you. Who gets to see you? Moses replied to his father-in-law, it's pretty simple and honest. He said, I do this because the people come to me to inquire of God when they have a dispute. They come to me and I decide between one person and another and I teach them the laws and the statutes of God. There's a, there's a whole sermon right there about how people, if they want to be a nation, need laws and statutes. But we're not going to preach that sermon today. I'm not preaching it. You're not listening to it. It doesn't seem <laughs> that Moses is blaming the people for coming to him here. It's just a simple, honest answer. Jethro says, why are you doing it this way? And he says, the people come to me. He's not blaming them. It's, not, it's a good thing that they want to come to Moses. It's a good thing that they want to learn the will of God. He's not like Adam, right? Adam pointing the finger in the garden when asked to give an account of himself. The woman which thou gavest me. I like the King James. The woman, it's not my fault, it's her fault. Furthermore, you gave her to me, things were fine before she came. That's Adam giving a great account for himself. That's not Moses, though. Because Moses, he really wants to do well by everyone. He's like a lot of us who are working so very hard to do well by everyone and just simply doing the best he knows how to do. What follows in verse 17 is in my mind, or falls in my mind, into the category of the Bible's greatest lines. Now, there is no such category, only in my mind. But sometimes don't you read something in the scriptures and you're like, man, that is good. In this case, this is good. When Jethro says, what you're doing is not good. No, really, Jethro, what do you think? I mean, you've seen me all day, father-in-law. What do you think? Tell me. Don't soft-pedal it. Don't water it down, okay? Give it to me straight. Lay it on me. Everyone needs a Jethro. Have you thought of this? We all need someone who loves us enough to, to be honest with us. Someone who's brave enough to be honest with us, to risk a relationship, to risk a little bit of conflict if that's what it's going to take to be the iron that sharpens iron. To be the faithful friend 
who sometimes wounds a friend. To, to be the one who says what needs to be said even when she or he knows that we don't want to hear it. If you want to be better in life, if you want to be a more godly person, if you want to have honest, intimate relationships, you need a Jethro. Who is your Jethro? And if you don't have a Jethro, where do you find one? I want to suggest to you this morning that if you're part of this church and you're not involved in small group ministry, that you should seriously and prayerfully consider that. Because in the context of small group ministry and discipleship groups, when we get together and we open the Word of God and we let the Holy Spirit talk to us, it speaks to us and so do our brothers and sisters. Now iron does sharpen iron. And wounds of a friend are faithful. For they conform us to the image of our Master and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we need that. We absolutely need that. So... So think about this, if you would. Who is your Jethro? Don't have one. Can you find one? We especially need a Jethro when we are headed in a wrong direction, when we are going down dangerous paths. But our need is not limited to just areas of sin or shortcoming, because some of you, I think, are already thinking, I don't need one more critic in my life. That's not what a Jethro is about. But some of, some of us, for fear of criticism, for fear of feedback, some of us who suffer from the tendency of perfectionism in particular, do not want to be vulnerable to anybody because we're afraid of what they're going to say. That's not what a Jethro is about. A Jethro is not an additional critic. We need people in our lives who can just ask us questions, who can check our motives, who can call us out if that's what's necessary, or who can simply help us see things from a different angle. So who's your Jethro? Who has permission to speak freely? Who has permission to speak truth into your life? Now, we cannot see Moses' face in the words on the page here when Jethro, after watching Moses work hard all day long, says, what you're doing is not good, but we might imagine he wasn't exactly thrilled. It's really more than disappointing when you're working so very hard to do the very best that you can do to have someone come to you and say, what you're doing is not good. I have had that happen to me. I bet many of you have had that happen as well. You know what it feels like. But as difficult as it must have been for Moses to hear, these words are delivered from a sincere heart with the best interest of Moses and the Israelite people in mind. So Jethro tells Moses, you and these people who come to you, they're only going to wear themselves out. The work is too heavy. You cannot handle it alone. Was it a relief to Moses to hear that, or was it a challenge? This work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Some of us want to buck up under a statement like that and say, oh, yeah? Watch this. And others would be like, no wonder I can't get anything done. Of course, I've been trying to do too much. We don't know how Moses responded to this. Something that 
part of Moses' problem was that he was, he was a man who felt like he was indispensable and that he had this keen sense of responsibility that, that expressed itself in his, his need to control everything. If you were like that, some of us are like that, sometimes I'm like that. And such a person wouldn't really be open to the idea that she or he could not handle it all. But others, myself included, believe that Moses was more humble than that and that he was just doing his best. He was doing what he was doing because he didn't know any other way to do it. And he got in so deep that he couldn't see the forest for the trees. And so it took his father-in-law to pull him out and to help him see things a little different. Either way, we know this, right? However he responded, Moses, or however he felt, Moses is on the pathway to uselessness. He's about to burn out. If something does not change, he will wear himself out. John Calvin wrote some words about this long ago. He said, let all, whether kings or magistrates or pastors of the church, know that whilst they strain every nerve to fulfill their duties, something will always remain which may admit of correction and improvement. Here, too, it is worthwhile to remark that no single mortal can be sufficient to do everything, however many and various may be the endowments wherein he excels. For who shall equal Moses, whom we have still seen to be unequal to the burden when he undertook the whole care of governing the people? Let then God's servants learn to measure carefully their powers, lest they should wear out by ambitiously embracing too many occupations. No mortal can be sufficient to do everything. Let us be careful to measure out our powers. Let us be okay with the idea that we have limitations, that we're not always going to get an A on the report card, that we won't meet everyone's expectations else we'll wear ourselves out so this is what Jethro suggests you must be the people's representative before God you must bring their disputes to them teach them the decrees and the law so what Jethro does here is he simplifies Moses job description he boils it down to two things he says you need to stay in front of God and you've got to keep teaching the New Testament echoes this Wisdom in Acts chapter 6, you may recall the early church is getting started and there's a conflict there between about, about widows who are not being served bread. And what do the apostles do but tell the congregation, you've got to elect some deacons so that they can serve bread, so this can be done, so that we can devote ourselves to the word and to prayer. That's the job of the leader, word and prayer. This wisdom is reiterated by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 when he says that the role of the leaders is not, as some expect, that they do all the work because they are the paid employees, but their job is equipping the saints for the work of service. Further, prayer and teaching is the model that Jesus himself used with his disciples. He prayed continuously and he taught them constantly so that, that they would know his values and so that his values would become their values incorporated in their lives and so that then they could go out and teach others the same. 
So Jethro tells Moses, keep talking to God and keep bringing the needs of the people before God and at the same time, teach them and then let some things go. Look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, who hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Man, Jethro was doing a lot of thinking when he was sitting on that stump or rock or ground, we don't know, the text doesn't say. But he was thinking this thing through. And of course, it wasn't just him, was it? It's the Spirit of God working in him and convicting him. Jethro, I, I'm going to give you a word. You've got to give this to Moses. He needs to hear from me. What Jethro prescribes is what we would call delegation today. Delegation is a biblical concept. It really is true that many hands make light work. We know that in this church, that when we undertake a ministry, when we have a lot of people to help, it makes light work. We also know when we don't have the ministers or the hands that we need, it can be a great burden to try to do certain things, to try to do things alone. So Jethro is saying, listen, you need to delegate some of this leadership. But, but the, the, the work of leadership can't be entrusted to just anybody. Okay? It can't go into just any hands. Many churches have gotten themselves into trouble by allowing their standard for leadership to be availability. Okay? Instead of ability. Oh, you're available? We'll vote you in. You have a pulse? Carbon-based life form? You qualify. It's not availability, it's ability. And we get ourselves into trouble when we ignore this. It's plain teaching from Scripture. Leaders have to be qualified. And Moses is told here to look for leaders with, with these specific qualifications. That they are able, that they are capable, that they have ability, okay? That they fear God. They have to fear God. All leaders have to fear God because wisdom, right? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. That they are trustworthy, they are people of honesty and integrity and that they hate dishonest gain. That they're not going to manipulate situations for their own good. They're not driven by money. They're not driven by the love of money. So if those characteristics ring a bell for you, and I would hope that they do, it's because we find them in the New Testament when the New Testament talks about the qualifications of elders. And we have studied that quite a bit over the last several years, and we don't have to go into it again today. But we know this, in both the Old and the New Testaments, we read how God intends for his people to be led by a plurality of godly qualified men. Both in the Old and the New Testament, we see that. If you do this, Jethro says, God will direct you, and you'll be able to endure. So that's the benefit of the change. Whenever you're trying to uh, make a change, the, the wise leader knows you got to answer the why. you got to talk about the benefit of the change or why it's important to make that change. And the benefit of delegation is that spreading out that load to make it easier for everyone who carries a load means the worker will be able to endure or the worker will be able to abide or remain or withstand. All those words fall in there, right? In other words, they will be able to continue in service for a long, long time. A leader's longevity depends in part on how well she or he can share the work. Those who learn to share the work are the leaders who will endure. And those who don't share the work 
are the leaders who become statistics that we all read about and cite. So spreading out the work is good for the leader, but it's also good for the recipients of the leader's ministry. You think it was hard on Moses probably to sit and listen to people's problems all day. It wasn't any picnic for the Israelites either who had to go and stand in line to get a hearing before Moses. You've got to envision this, folks. How many of you waited for your number to come up at the DMV? Patiently, I know, because you're Christians. Um, how many of you have waited to be seen at an emergency room? You felt like you had an emergency, but apparently some other people thought there were other emergencies that needed to be attended to. We know how irritated we get when Hannaford doesn't have enough cashiers on the line. So now envision Moses, who has let out what some people estimate to be between one and two million people, being the sole person who will arbitrate every case. But was it hard on him? Yes. Was it hard on them? Of course it was. And that's why Jethro says, if you keep doing it this way, both you and the people who are coming to you are going to get worn out. How good do you suppose the advice was that Moses is dispensing around 6 or 7 o'clock at night? Yeah, that's fine. Take two aspirin and don't call me in the morning. Right? But Jethro promises Moses on the command of God, if you do this, all these people will go to their place in peace. And it's going to be good for them. They're going to be satisfied, and so will you. Now, how's Moses going to handle this critique? Beloved, how do you handle critique? How open to suggestions is he going to be? How open to suggestions are you? Well, we know because we, we've read the story. Verse 24, Moses listened to his father-in-law. Every father-in-law in here says, and the moral of the story is always listen to your father-in-law. This could have gone a different way, you know. This could have gone a different way. Can you hear an exhausted Moses, worn out, cranky, because he's been dealing with people's problems all day long, day in and day out for weeks on end. He has not seen his father-in-law in ages, and here he comes waltzing in. And what does he do to help? Nothing doesn't lift a hand, sits down and watches all day long while Moses works his tail off. And then at the end of the day, this self-righteous guy has the audacity to show up with a simple solution to a problem that is obviously much more complex than he understands. This could have gone a different way. It is easy to dismiss the counsel that God through his spirit gives somebody to bring to us. It is easy to plead the complexities of our unique circumstances it is easy to disqualify the advisors who just don't get it. It is tempting, and we are cautioned against it in Scripture, 
to be wise in our own eyes, to feel that we hold the answer and nobody else does, and we don't need any help. All these things are problems for us sinful human beings. It's easy not to listen. But mature people listen. Mature people listen. They even accept counsel. And when they, they believe the advice is good, they follow it. But because they're mature, if they can discern that the advice is not good, they don't need to follow it, but they will listen. It takes humility to listen. Author and pastor Kevin DeYoung says, humility isn't about pretending to be lower than we are. It's about realizing we're not as mighty as we think. And conceding this, that we are not as mighty as we think, Conceding this could put us on the path of doing things differently. It could open us up to suggestions. It could open us up to options that we hadn't previously thought about. It could relieve the guilt that we feel at not measuring up to others' expectations. When we take on too many occupations, we wear ourselves out. But listen, friends, when we take on too many expectations, we wear ourselves out. We need to order our lives according to the priorities and expectations of our God and His Word. There will always be people telling us what we ought to do and what we should do. There will always be people chirping on our shoulders, criticizing what we're, what we're doing and telling us it ought to be different. There will always be somebody posting something that makes you envious or feel bad about yourself because you have not lived up to some arbitrary artificial thing that in the end doesn't matter one lick. if we can concede that we're not as mighty as we think, if we can sing and mean it, Lord, I need you, if we can sing and mean it just as I am, if we can sing and mean it, you are my all in all. You are my strength when I am weak, and I'm weak. If we can concede those things, and maybe it would allow God to send someone into our life that will give us a perspective that we need and don't have that will bring us the peace that we're looking for. Moses listened to Jethro, but more than that, he followed his advice. Verse 24, so Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and he did all that he said. And here he shows his people. By doing, he shows his people how to abide by the statute and the rule that God initiated for them at Merah. They should listen and do what is right in God's eyes. Every Israelite in that wilderness is learning how to be a child of God. And so is their leader. Let's stand and sing in conclusion. 562 if you're looking in the hymnal. 562.
are 